to the 65th episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me as always is Roger Reitner. How are you doing, Roger? I'm great. Good. So last week was a busy week of investor conferences. We heard from the CEOs and CFOs of all the national network operators. And, you know, typically we'll do analysis and commentary whenever these folks speak. One of the things that really struck me as we were going through that process uh, was the extent to which all the national operators are doubling down on broadband. And they all seem to view it as a huge opportunity. So I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about that and kind of what our perspective is on that. Yeah, well, cable, you know, the cable MSOs were the big winners in in fixed broadband for for now the last decade, if not that, if not longer, right? They they were really running the table. They enjoyed a, a very very good run, and I guess now the the wireless guys and and the more integrated carriers are like you know we're kind of a little bit sick and sick of this, and I think we can take the take it back. And the evidence is very good for it. Right, wherever Fires is like the 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 poster child of being the fiber overbuilder, especially here in the Northeast, and wherever Verizon has Fires, they they end up with like fifty five sixty percent market share, whereas, but they haven't built out anywhere else, and for for more than ten fifteen years, uh, Fires has not had a significant expansion, and now. Verizon with Fios is building out, AT&T is building out, and I don't think with fiber, right? And and they're looking at the numbers that Fios has achieved as realistic goals, right? Because they need about 35, 40% to break even on the fiber build out. But they, are, they think they have a, a really good shot. And then on top of it, especially... Verizon and and T-Mobile view their networks as multi-use networks where they can use unused capacity to provide fixed wireless at very competitive speeds to households that sometimes have cable with multi, with 100 megabits and faster and a lot of it to you know rural and semi rural ISPs who who only have have DSL these days, and so that's a really good uh, prospect. Now they're going to run into the whole broadband build out plan spend of of like sixty billion dollars, and so it's going to be a race of who will who will get to these customers first. The key distinction here, specifically for Verizon and T Mobile, is is also five G, right? So. 4G wasn't necessarily competitive versus 100 megabit cable connections, but 5G could be right. And there's a particularly if you're using midband like like T-Mobile is today, and and like Verizon plans to do once they get their C-band spectrum and millimeter wave, right? Right. Uh, all of them although, have. Although arguably, millimeter wave is not going to cover your rural areas because it doesn't propagate far. Correct. Enough, but- but millimeter wave in dense urban areas has a has a very viable speed comparison with 300 megabits to a gigabit. 
and especially for people who have been disappointed by by cable and you know we can read in the press about that they are just waiting for 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 an viable alternative to show up and so will you get you know 60% market share with a millimeter wave fixed wireless and dense urban maybe not but you can get 20 you can get 15 well the economics of using fixed wireless for carriers where you have extra capacity is really good. I mean, I think, you know, Peter Zvaldik at T-Mobile talked a lot about this, where, you know, the CapEx spend that you're making or you're, you're spending for the network for the wireless side of things also works for, you know, the fixed wireless side, right? And yeah. So if it's you've got free capacity, money. It's, it's free money. Exactly. It's free money because you build the network with a with a mobility use case. The network is up. The marginal cost of supplying an additional gigabit or gigabyte is 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 very low, right? And so, why not? They're customers to be had, right? At the same time, I, I don't think it's that easy, you know. Both the the MSOs and the MNOs, they are really good companies, and you underestimate them at your own at your own peril. Uh, either way, right? And so, for example, I thought it was very interesting. Peter Swaldick talked about, oh, on one hand, cable did a lot better than they thought. And, you know, it reminds me of what Mike Sievert said like several years ago, where he said like the biggest problem with cable is that it moves at the speed of cable. And I think they've taken this back because they they have been impressed with the success of the cable providers in wireless. But the, at the same time, he's right, they're 10%. But that's a little bit misleading because in the, the charter and in the, the Comcast footprint, they're making 25% gross ads. Soga, right? And that's quite respectable. You know, Soga wise, they're they're right there with that with everybody else. So it's a very viable competition. But but I mean the, the sales model for the MSOs though is really, you know, they 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 line you up with your broadband service and they then they say, Hey, do you want some inexpensive wireless service on a you know well-known and respected national network, which is Verizon's, as we all know. Isn't there an opportunity for the carriers to kind of do something similar, which is to say, hey, here's your wireless service, and by the way, do you want to get your your broadband from our brand as well, right? And, and it's just a little bit extra. Yeah, and we heard from from all of them that they have actually done a really good job in going both ways. 50% of, of new customers for their fixed wireless or for their fiber offer comes from new customers that didn't that don't have a wireless option. Right. So Verizon and AT&T both have said with their broadband product that 50% of the customers they're getting with those products are new to their brands, right? So 50% of folks coming to AT&T fiber are new to AT&T, 50% of folks coming to Verizon's fixed wireless are new to Verizon. Right. Yeah, so this is a bi-directional upgrade opportunity, right? The wireless customers can be upgraded to fiber, and the fiber customers can be upgraded to or upsold to wireless. And that's quite significant because what we've seen from the, the cable guys is that the funnel only works one way. 
They bring in the, the fiber guys, predominantly the fiber guys, and then upsell them to wireless. We have seen less the other way around, that people come to the cable guys for wireless, and then they also get, they get cable. And so that is a, a slightly weaker, weaker precision. Now they're selling it at a lower price point. And now they're also selling it with family, with, with with very competitive family plans. So I would expect a little bit more. But when I look at how successful is cable in wireless, then I look at the cable gross ad rate. Right. That that's the that's the most meaningful predictor of their wireless performance. Right. So where does this go next? I mean, what, what, what are we watching for? Uh, I know T-Mobile had mentioned that they hit their 500,000 fixed wireless net ads target a month early. I assume that you know Verizon you know, had started reporting fixed wireless net ads last quarter as well as T-Mobile. What should we, we be looking for? And what are some of the tea leaves we're looking at in terms of you know how we tell if this is actually working for the wireless carriers or for the MSOs? Yeah, well, I think... For the next year, I think the fixed wireless offers are going to be very competitive. A big gating factor for for Verizon is that whole brouhaha with the with the FAA, right? Mm-hmm. And and the longer that takes, the slower FWA will ramp. We'll see what how quickly the three point four five spectrum will come on board, which should have none of the the restrictions or, or or the conflict right now and then we have to look at when is the fiber the, the the broadband money coming from the federal government and funneling through the state because that will now suddenly make the the rural telcos that are currently offering DSL very competitive with fiber courtesy of of federal funding right and that and when when fixed wireless runs into fiber my money is on fiber right right well i thought it was interesting when when uh, john stanky of at&t spoke last week he talked a lot about how at&t is good at working with government and you know it seemed to be alluding the fact the fact there and there, there don't seem to be any restrictions at the federal level, at least in terms of who can win this money from the states, right? So there's a situation where, like a, a fiber builder like AT and T or like Verizon, for that matter, could also capture a fair amount of that that build that money. Absolutely. Now it would be a a reversal of of strategy because when you look at it over the last fifteen years, the companies like Verizon, like like AT&T, got, have gotten rid of their very rural lines and focused mostly on urban and suburban markets. And, and I think that's a big misunderstanding in a, with a lot of people that think like AT&T and Verizon are still serving, you know, very lightly populated areas. They successfully sold that to others to hold that back. And, and now, now that's coming a little bit out. But they're still they're still operating multi-use networks that have fiber lines running all over the country, right? So it's not like AT and T's fiber network ends where you know the borders of the suburbs end, right? I mean they they have the the capability and you know the, the core the core network 
that exists in the ground today or, or you know, on the poles today is fiber, right? So there's nothing to stop them from doing that, particularly if there's incentives involved from, from states and federal government. Yeah, and generally their own fiber. And you saw it with Verizon's One Fiber policy. They, in the top 60 markets, in footprint or out of footprint, they are running their own fiber to the base stations and the, the antennas. And they can use this to go predominantly first after business, right? And AT&T is doing the same thing in their 21-state footprint. Why pay somebody else when you can have owner economics? So we see that, you know, the, the only one who is buying buying fiber exclusively from, from a third party is T-Mobile. I'm, I'm waiting for T-Mobile to potentially resurrect some plans of using some of the 2.5 gig spectrum for microwave backhaul especially in rural America, where where you don't need 200 megahertz of spectrum for, for a couple hundred people. So there they can significantly cut costs. I, I see that. And the other thing I'm looking forward to is, is to see, you know, how Manon Brouillette will change Verizon's consumer group. Because, you know, we always say, Numbers and facts are very important, but people make decisions, right? And and even though she said at the investor conference nothing will change, I'm sorry, new people join to make changes. If you want to have no change, you know, you keep the old team. And they clearly didn't keep the old team, right? So she will her job is to do things differently than Ronan. Well, and her background is interesting, too, given that she was running a company that was kind of converged Videotron in Canada. You know, they did have MVNO agreements, but they were kind of forced upon them So, by the regulators. So I, I think there's some interesting perspectives she's going to have, given that the, there's a lot less regulation here in the U.S. And it, it, well, when you look at the voyage that Videotron, uh, she was the CEO of Videotron until 2018. And so she did, she was the, the cable provider, fixed internet, then they became an MVNO, then they bought Spectrum in most of Canada, and when the, the, the wind transaction fell through, they sold it again outside Canada, and then she built her own wireless network within Quebec. And so, in a way, she she went down the road of what the cable companies are doing themselves right now, right? And and they're building their own network. So she walked in their shoes, which can be really good for cable or really, really bad, because she knows exactly from their side of the table of how that whole relationship and their, their constraints are looking like. But at the same time, you know, one of our our industry friends said, like, Oh, she ran this uh, Videotron in Quebec. That's the size of Ohio, right? So, and and Kenan from from Barclays, where she spoke, was like he basically said the same thing. It's like, oh, but Videotron was really small, and she's like, yeah, but it's the same mechanics. So we'll see if, how that works of of scaling the lessons from a smaller integrated. Telecommunications provider to one of the the ten largest in the world, right? So, 
there's a different set of challenges. Now the mechanics are the same, right? Mechanically, a 100-meter dash is the same as a marathon run. It's one step after the other. But how it all plays out is a little bit different. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Well, no, nobody, nobody is is born into you know running these these companies, right? So I think you know anybody who who comes into that role is going to have a period of time where they're learning and kind of wrapping their head around the scale that a company like Verizon has, right? And and she she got that luxury over the last six months of being the COO next to Ronan, and and Ronan is an excellent executive. He did a lot of things really, really well, knows knows this market extremely well after being a very seasoned executive at O2. And I'm sure he will be missed, you know, not by the competition, but he's a good guy. All right, Roger, that's all we have time for this week. We'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.